Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm an editor at Light Reading. Hi, Kelsey. I, I'm also an editor at Light Reading. My name is Mike. They know. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Welcome. Mike and Kelsey, it's good to see you. Bob Udell uh, with Consolidated Communications, uh, president and CEO, and uh, I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Bob. So um, how, I know we're talking a little offline, but are you experiencing um, the fall weather now where you're based or is it still hot? It's been beautiful. We've had, uh, you know, mid 70 to, you know, maybe 80, 80 degree days. Uh, I'm in the, uh, the North uh, Houston, um, kind of the suburbs going on to rural area called Conroe, Texas. And, uh, and it's just beautiful this time of year. You know, in Texas, you just don't like July and August. <laughs> and, uh, and you love um, the rest of the year uh, with the occasional every 10-year freeze that you read about this past winter. But um, it's, a, it's been a great market to be in and a good central location for, you know, our 23 states that we serve uh, across the uh, U.S., yeah, glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the cooler weather as well. So, uh, well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, we wanted to start by hearing a little bit more about Consolidated's fiber build-out plan. I believe you all announced um, about a year ago um, some plans for expansion over the next few years into about 2025. So um, give us a little overview of, of what that looks like and, and what the goal is there. Yeah, it's it's really an exciting time period for us, and uh, boy, COVID even um, highlighted more the the power of broadband uh, in uh, in distributed you know suburb, suburban and rural areas. Um, we uh, we have a 125 year history and uh, of of providing quality communications in rural areas, uh, and uh, and we've built on that history through um, certainly the last. 10 to 15 years where we've been bringing fiber closer and closer to um, the, the customer base that we serve. Uh, and, and usually density drives that that level of investment, but we've used um, revenue from three customer groups uh, to expand our fiber network. Um, commercial, uh, which is business to business, wholesale or carrier revenue, which is uh, you know uh, demonstrated by wireless backhaul, you know, fiber to towers. Uh, as well as large institutional customers and other carriers, and consumer, um, which is the the last leg of the stool that we saw um, that we needed to solve um, as uh, you know as we uh, matured. And so last year, um, after about eighteen months of planning, um, we raised the capital uh, to uh, close this last gap uh, in terms of fiber to the prem, uh, and uh, and accelerated our desire to build out. Then we, we figured about 1.1 million passings across our 2.7 uh, that we could address. And uh, it's actually ended up, you know, 1.6. As we did the analysis, um, we saw that, you know, incrementally we could get to another 500,000 um, without, uh, you know, much incremental spend. And so on a cost per passing, it's attractive and will, in just in this first year, um, uh, be able to address or serve 300,000 uh, new um, upgraded locations uh, with uh, a one gig symmetrical product on fiber. And so um, we're making great progress our first year out of the gate on a five-year plan to to serve 1.6 million um, you know, upgraded locations. Yeah, I'm glad that you talked about the, you know, the really ambitious, uh, you know, uh, uh, extent of the plans that you have. 
um, which I think it, for me raises uh, one important question about the supply chain and the supply of components. And you know, the reason is is that this has been an ongoing issue in the telecom industry um, and has definitely affected some of your competitors. In fact, AT and T uh, lowered their fiber build out goal because of the you know the, the short supply of components for their fiber build out. And so, I'm wondering if you can talk about that in general and specifically whether it's impacted your build. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, a significant issue that I think the entire industry is faced with. And hey, listen, look at automobiles and uh, and electronic, you know, consumer electronics, all those things, uh, appliances, um, they're being affected by the chip, you know, supply. And so that extends into CPE that goes into homes um, for Wi-Fi um, or the gear that goes on the side of the house. You know, we're fortunate that we have been working on this plan um, and moving towards it for probably the last five years and, uh, and really got into a position to, to begin executing on it two years ago. Uh, and, and so we were trialing, kind of doing that iterative, um, you know, crawl, walk, run uh, with our engineering and, uh, and our supply uh, um, of, um, of gear, uh, both uh, for outside in, in the, in the um, network area, as well as in the home. Uh, so um, for our um you know, foreseeable plan, we, uh, for the first year, we were pretty well positioned from a fiber perspective, but it's, you know, it's not, um, you know, a, a smooth rolling machine from a supply chain perspective. We've been very fortunate to have good long-term relationships uh, and to be able to get the fiber we need, um, you know, uh, quarter after quarter. And, and we feel good about going into 2022, but we're watching that very carefully. Um, I think the labor market is tightening up. Uh, and, uh, and we're seeing that both on the on the construction and the, the marketing side, um, but you know we're we're also in uh, in fairly yeah. suburban you know and rural communities that aren't as densely populated, uh, and and so you know with a good product, good relationships in the community, uh, and uh, and a consistent um, uh, build rate, you know in multiple regions, we've been able to keep so far our resources. Um, you know, well-fed and clothed and, and with enough work to do uh, and enough supplies to keep going. And, uh, and so I feel, I feel like we've got a good engine going, but we're watching the supply side very closely and working closely with our suppliers. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the workforce issue too, because that, that was my follow-up question because that, you know, the, the workforce issue has been affecting a lot of different things. In fact, the bus driver for my kids' uh, school, they, they can't find bus drivers. And so they have canceled the route this week. So oh my. You know, it's, yeah, it's been affecting all kinds of different things. Uh, but it's good to hear that you are not seeing any shortages as, as of yet. Let's hope that that continues. Yeah, I, I think it's something we have to continue to watch. You know, yeah. we, we uh, see the opportunity to scale more in our build and uh, and I think fiber splicers are going to be the the you know um, the, the pressure point uh, next um, we're fortunate that right now we're getting all the work done that that we want to get done but I see that as we attempt to scale you know the, the next stage uh, in 2022 um, you know retaining or, or developing our own resource pool and so that's what we're working on right now is the training programs and taking uh, technicians that are newer you know, in the company, because um, we have retirements and, you know, turnover, um, like any uh, uh, mature company might have, you know, with this new project effort, we're building our, our training programs and, and resource development models. Um, so that we can take, uh, you know, graduating tech school folks and, and people that may have come from other industries and educate them on how to, to, to fill our resource needs. Um, and, uh, and that's being received well by the communities we serve.
So it's a, it's a great opportunity, but it is a challenge. Yeah, definitely an, an odd time for the supply chain. I, I also had a friend who um, recently sold their Tesla after owning it for a year and they made $10,000 on it, which is <laughs> by selling it to the dealer, which is just wild to me. That Bizarre, can, isn't it? Right. You can have a car that, you know, the, the one time it didn't depreciate in value. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I'm in the same situation. I'm, I'm kind of a car uh, nut. I, I enjoy um, machines and uh and, you know, whether it's um, digger machines, directional bore machines, everything's at a premium. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I just sold a car um, <laughs> at a profit that I never thought would be possible uh, for the same reason. Yeah. Makes me wonder if my Prius is worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have to walk. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Mike can attest I've, I've gotten better at riding scooters. So, you know, there's always <laughs> right. <that>. Great. <laughs> We should all be riding scooters based on our, our adventures recently. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so back to, to consolidated um, plans, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you're addressing connectivity in rural areas and um, perhaps how public and private partnerships are important um, for, for that goal and expansion of uh, historically underserved areas? Yeah, we're, we're really fortunate that, um, you know, we've looked at every regulatory regulatory um, program that results in in funding for rural areas as an opportunity to extend our network. And and some may remember universal service funds that did that for the voice network, you know, and I could go through a history lesson there that was uh, deeply involved with it um, uh, in the on, at a federal level um, from 96 forward. But most recently, it, it turned into what was called Connect America Fund one and two. Uh, and, and those have are winding down at the end of this year. And then RDOF came about with an auction and now we're into CARES and, uh, and infrastructure funding. And, and what we've really built is a uh, engine uh, and a team that focuses on each state we serve, how the state um, manages and allocates those funds uh, that they can get access to. And so, you know, we've gone after NTI grants. Um, and before that we've developed um, relationships at a local community level um, that in some cases resulted in a bond and, uh, and an offset that we place in, you know, in the, in the bill that uh, pays back that bond over a period of time without any increase in taxes and, uh, and results in, uh, you know, a town of 300 in some cases. Um, in other cases, it's been as large as 5,000, you know, in, in the area that it covered um, that allowed us to serve where the cost per passing was not economically justifiable. And so, those have been just really great case studies. And, and Senator um, Shaheen uh, and uh, Hassan, uh, both out of New Hampshire, have really been um, leaders uh, supported by uh, Governor Sununu um, at getting that crafted so that it was easy to do. And they're well poised, as other states are now, to, to use that infrastructure funding as it becomes available. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it really is just a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it puts government funding where it can make the, the most um, impact mm-hmm. uh, and it raises the economic viability of communities that otherwise wouldn't have access to these types of services. And so uh, the, the best part of this story is we can do it cheaper than most anyone else because we've been incrementally expanding our fiber networks over the last 10, 15 years based on institutional customers or wireless carriers, um, expanding for schools and libraries. Uh, and building to business communities 
at an incremental level, uh, you know, which we've done on an increasing basis at lower revenue per month levels um, through history. So it's really just an extension of a network we've already built. Okay. And that, that kind of goes into what my next question was, was how do you uh, kind of make the business case work um, for extending connectivity into these rural areas? I mean, I imagine it, it's probably um, more challenging than in some urban areas um, to achieve that. Um, but of course, you know, the pandemic's shown us how necessary that is. I've heard stories of parents driving their kids to the closest McDonald's just to get internet access. Uh, So are are those kind of federal dollars and and grants um, key to making the business case? Or how how do you go about, um, you know, making the making it work from a financial standpoint. Yeah, yeah, you you, you nailed it. Um, it's 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 a combination of all those things. And, and I'll go back to the, the three um, bites of the apple or the three revenue streams that we we pull from from one common fiber network. Um, we've been very we've been intentional, quite intentional around making sure that we're looking at all three of those opportunities every time we invest, buy or build a fiber network. And so each of the acquisitions we've done um, or each of the business cases we've done, we either call them smart, smart builds uh, or we, we call them fiber distribution hubs. And, uh, and over time, we're, we're always looking at what is the trigger to, to build it. And, and we look at the business case from a carrier opportunity, if there's poor wireless coverage or, or densification opportunity with 5G, um, we look at the business community, um, which is usually the lead uh, and the density from a residential perspective, and that gets us to a certain level. And then everything past that is incremental. And so if the, if the competitive situation is one competitor or none, you know, we can make assumptions on penetration and go further. And then where we can't economically justify it from a three customer group perspective, we look for public private partnerships as the trigger. And, and that's, you know, that's the only way it's sustainable long-term or you end up having to subsidize it forever. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, and that, I think uh, this, this leads me into probably my, my favorite topic uh, of all time, which is the, is the fixed wireless topic. And I wanted to ask you a question about that because you're talking about, you know, the economics of reaching these rural folks and, you know, the people who uh, support the, the fixed wireless technologies, they, they sort of argue that, you know, fixed wireless is, is the most economical. It costs the least to reach these people. Um, so you've been talking a lot about fiber. Like, have you looked into whether you would expand with fixed wireless like, you know, an AT&T or a, or a, a Midco has done? Yeah, we, we have looked at fixed wireless. In fact, we were a CBRS bidder and winner. Um, but what we found as we, you know, really researched and, and done case studies as well as our own deployments on fixed wireless versus uh, terrestrial, we can get a lot further with fiber than we expected. And it is more reliable and easier to maintain because once it's in, you don't go back. And, and radios uh, and radio signals are easily interfered with. <laughs> and, uh, and, and while they can be very reliable, especially for mobile reasons, um, we haven't found it to be as effective for fixed broadband purposes. Uh, so there are places where the topography works well because it's flatland. Uh, you know, it, some places in the Midwest where you're never going to be able to build as economically as you can redeploy radios, but it's almost always best for a mobile or a temporary situation 
versus a a direct, you know a long term solution. Uh, I think ultimately um, fiber is going to be the best future proof answer, uh, and radio for fixed wireless is always going to be best where you just can't ever build effectively. The, the, the problem with wireless is when you start to look at the cost of the tower, the cost of the radios, the cost of the customer premise equipment, which is higher when you're talking about a wireless uh, implementation, um, you're, you're, you're going to find that treed areas, places with mountains, take more of the radio towers, uh, you know, the, the transmission sites um, than you'd, you'd imagine. And by the time you get transmission sites that are so dense, you could have built fiber. And, and so it's all all a cost per subscriber, you know, uh, analysis. And uh, and there are some places where we're still supporting fixed wireless, but they're a lot fewer than I would have expected. And that was really demonstrated as you went through as we went through the RDOF analysis. We bought CBRS to be effective on RDOF and we ended up bidding almost all of it with fiber. Um, but uh, but that's another story. RDOF yeah. is another story. <laughs> suppose that's true. Wow. That's super interesting, though, to hear about the economics of it. I, I would have thought, yeah, that, you know, fixed wireless would have solved a lot of these problems. But, uh, you know, it sounds like that's not not the best solution for a lot of places, which is interesting. Yeah, and, and part of it is just the incremental nature of our facilities ending up closer to the customer than we expected. I mean, same on us. We've been doing this year over year over year and probably didn't really stop and look at the analysis before we, we decided to go fix wireless until we had the experience with both. And uh, And so I was surprised, you know. Uh, that it was as cost effective as it's turned out to be yeah. to go fiber. Anything else that you're um, kind of looking forward to um, over the next year um, in terms of how you've um, kind of adopted uh, or, or perhaps changed plans due to the pandemic? Um, has that uh, affected um, any internal operations or, um, you know, how you're approaching um, business with your customers at all? Yeah, I I, uh, I think we all just we all have been impacted so significantly by this pandemic evolution. Who would have thought would still be working through the effects of it two years later? I mean, this is just well, even I, I guess it'll be two years when we hit hit the December, right? Yeah. Initially, I thought it was going to be about a month, which was looking back really silly. <laughs> it, it's crazy. It and we mobilized. I know we mobilized uh, just about three thousand people to work from home in a. A little over four days and uh and, and so just under a week we took customer service all the network functions and we distributed them and i don't see us ever totally going back you know we we've uh we've shed some some corporate buildings in the process uh so i'm really proud of the the workforce we have uh, and and how resilient they've been um but i also look forward to the human interaction we're doing more sales events now you know there's some um progress in, in, uh, in opening up, um, but doing it in a socially responsible way. You know, we're keeping track of people's health information in a way that I never thought we would, we would do so. Um, but vaccinations and, you know, and protecting uh, customers and ourselves are, are important. So I think what I'm, I'm most excited about is, A, we've got a great opportunity in front of us uh, and, and we're, you know, we're acting on that. Um, B, um, culturally, I still have a team of people that are really focused on serving the customer, um, but we're, we're thinking more about work-life balance and, and attention on, you know, how, uh, how we behave in order to protect um, our families and our customers. And, and so I think that's actually a good thing, not that I wish this pandemic on us or anyone else. And, and three, um, I'm seeing us be 
with you know better behavior a little more willing to to gather again but but in a in a responsible way and and i'm really anxious to see that i hope we don't get setbacks through the holidays with this next variant um, but i think we're prepared for it if if it should happen uh, and I'm really excited about the the sales blitzes that we're we're beginning to, to have more frequently. I'm excited about the cultural impacts of of having something new in communities that are excited to get it. Uh, and uh, and and that's just you know for for a company that's been through um, 125 years of of technology evolution and to see this as really the end game. I mean, think about copper networks and coax networks. Copper networks lasted over 100 years. Some cable that was put in place in 1920, you know, with with these these companies uh, as they transitioned to to actually cables in a sheath from open wire, you know, some of that cable still out in in different places in in uh, this industry, and now we're going to the destination that I think will last for another hundred years, and that's fiber. That is very exciting. Yeah. So yeah. thanks, thanks for letting me spend time with both of you today. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Ke Kelsey, we we couldn't have gotten a better ending quote than that. I think. <laughs> yeah. That's as good as it gets, right there. <laughs> I feel like that'd be good for a T-shirt. We're always looking for new T-shirt ideas. So. There you go. <laughs>